Opening up our Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel. Well, happy 4th of July weekend. Some of you are from out of town, so it's great to see you. We have some people usually here who are out of town, but it's great to be together uh, this morning to worship God. And uh, boy, what a great worship service already. We really appreciate the worship team singing their hearts out, leading us uh, into the presence of God, the throne room of God, to really think about God and worship Him. Uh, appreciate, I guess, the birthday uh, teasing uh, so much for keeping my age a secret, <laughs> but um, it's okay. Feeling pretty good, so 47 isn't too bad. Uh, all, all I got to say is I'm not near as old as that guy up here who was giving me a hard time about my uh, birthday. So, you know, it's tough to, you know, to give the preacher a hard time when he's coming up after you. Uh, where did he go? Probably in Kids Kingdom or something. I don't know. Or, or eating cupcakes. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, since it is my birthday today, I get to do two of my favorite things in the sermon. One is to tell a joke. And the other is to quote a country song. The country song's coming later, but I'm going to start us with a joke. And my wife is down in Kids Kingdom, so I won't embarrass her too bad. But this is a joke that actually I thought of myself. And I'm warning you right now, it's really, really bad. So you don't have to go, oh, that's bad. I know it's bad. But I've previewed it a few times with some people, and I don't think I've gotten one laugh yet. Uh, Morgan is in Duluth, so she no longer is able to laugh at my jokes, no matter how bad they are. Uh, So anyways, you guys know that I like to golf, right? And I get a hard time because I don't like to wear golf hats. I wear visors when I golf. You know, old, old guys, right? They wear visors. But Jackson does too. Where'd he go? So he likes visors. So, uh, Anyways, I like to wear visors. And because I wear visors, I, they tend to wear out and I get a lot of them. So I have a lot of visors around the house. And I thought lately about why. Do you guys know why? I like to have a lot of visors around the house because many visors makes victory sure. Get it? Many visors. There's a proverb, so some of you haven't read it. Many advisors makes victory sure. So many visors. Just play on the term. Okay. What do you think, Monty? (laughs) okay so anyways i'm glad we love each other unconditionally all right we're walking through the old testament and we're seeking to understand the character of god to know god to be to delight in god and to become one with god and to make him known amen and we've entered the historical books uh, today we're going to be uh, starting 1 Samuel, and actually the book uh, 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel originally is just one large book entitled Samuel, because of the scroll length, actually, they broke them into 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And it's very interesting, love studying history, because history always presents us uh, a lesson to learn. Especially biblical history is recorded with 
the intent to communicate something true about God, something true about how God uh, works. And in 1 Samuel, we see some main characters that we see a common thread, a lesson from God through them. And we see uh, Samuel himself, King Saul, Jonathan, uh, Saul's son, and David. And there's some main points from, from this book that we learned. One is that God is at work despite human evil. So despite human evil, God is always at work, even at times through human evil. Uh, we definitely learn from these books that the kingship of Israel is pointing not ultimately to a great human king, but to King Jesus coming, a, a messianic king to come in the future. And we learn also that God opposes the proud, but exalts the humble. And we're going to hone, on this, hone in on this principle for today's message. That God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 16, verse 18 says, Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. 1 Peter 5, verse 5 says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Here's what we learn about God from 1 Samuel. It's pretty simple. God humbles the proud, but graciously exalts the humble. And all of us have to, have to learn from history. We, if, if we don't learn from history, history is going to repeat itself, and it's going to repeat itself in our own lives. All of us, we struggle with this pride and humility in our hearts. Um, one of the things that we know is that Jesus describes himself as humble. He says, uh, come to me all who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest for I am gentle and humble in heart. Humble in heart. One of, the, one of the themes we see through the book of Samuel is that God's all about the heart. God is all about the heart. And we see David coming who is a man after God's own heart. So what I want us to do is to give us a heart check today, a heart exam, so to speak. Where, how are we in our pride? Are we growing more humble or less humble? We see all of these servants, Samuel, Saul, David, and Jonathan, they all begin humbly. But Saul especially, we see him become more and more prideful and the destruction becomes more and more evident in his life. So not only are we in our, in our exam pride and humility, we have to think about what direction are we headed? Are we headed more toward Christ-likeness and humility or further away? We are, one of, we are going one of those directions. Whatever direction we've headed this past week, let's use this time in history to head toward humility. Amen? And if we've been heading toward humility, let's be encouraged that regardless of what circumstances may be around us, God promises to exalt us in due time. Amen? Okay, so we're not going to obviously read the book, whole book of 1 Samuel, but let's look over in 1 Samuel chapter 15. I have three points for us today. 
The first point is character humility brings gracious growth. The second is relationship humility brings gracious unity. And the third is that hardship humility brings gracious endurance. Let's start thinking here about our own characters, the sins, our character flaws, character humility bringing gracious growth. Both Saul and David had character sins. We all have sinned. We all fall short. We have character flat spots, so to speak. And the the deal with pride is that it typically blinds us to our own character flaws, okay? And so we have to really take a biblical look to put that mirror up in front of us to help us see clearly. Both, both Saul and David had character sins. Saul struggled with people-pleasing. Can I get a witness? Anyone else struggle with wanting respect, praise from men, people-pleasing? Saul struggled with this, and he became, in his pride, he became actually addicted, enslaved to praise from men. This led him to compromise obeying God. It led, he gave into that peer pressure, so to speak. And it also led him to build an, a monument in his own honor. He built a monument in his own honor. When confronted with his pride, though, we see Saul had a choice to make. We're going to read this in 1 Samuel 15, verse 12 through 31. So Saul had character flaws, but David also had them. And we're going to see a difference with not that they had flaws, but how they responded when confronted with the truth. Let's read here in 1 Samuel chapter 15, verse 12. So a little context. Uh, God sent Saul, King Saul, on a mission. And he said to destroy the Amalekites, to completely destroy them, wipe them out. Okay, And so Saul went on the mission and... He largely, he won the battle, but he didn't completely destroy. He saved the king, and he saved a lot of the choice animals and that sort of thing. And what he says, well, we'll read what he says in a minute. So he did a lot of what God wanted, but he didn't completely obey him. Boy, that sounds like 21st century Christianity in America, wouldn't you say? Good intentions, a little bit of church mixed in and there, but are we totally surrendered to Jesus as Lord? Are we in complete uh, obedience to his will and his commands? Let's read here chapter 15 and verse 12. Samuel rose early, so Samuel comes to confront him. Samuel rose early in the morning to meet Saul, and was told Samuel, saying, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself, then turned and proceeded on down to Gilgal. Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, Blessed are you of the Lord. I have carried out the command of the Lord. But Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen which I hear? Saul said, They have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God. But the rest we have utterly destroyed. Then Samuel said to Saul, Wait, and let me tell you what the Lord said to me last night. And he said to him, Speak. Samuel said, is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed you king over Israel, 
And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me and have brought back Agag, the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. You see what's happening? It's the same thing that I do. It's the same thing that you do. When, well, I did obey. Well, wait a second. Then why the sheep and the king are alive right here? It's like obey means to obey, to do it. It's, it's kind of like in our households, right? Did you do what we said? Yeah, I did. Okay, so what if it, you know, do the laundry. Do your laundry. Did you do the laundry? I did. Then why do your clothes smell so bad? You know, why is there clothes thrown all over your floor? Well, I did some laundry. See, we work it. See what Saul's doing? He's taking the commands of God and he's twisting them, altering them just a bit to fit in with what he thinks is the best way to do it. And, and Samuel is not having it, because God is not having it. Verse 20, Then Saul said to Samuel, I did obey the voice of the Lord, and went on the mission on which the Lord sent me, and they have brought back Agag the king of Amalek, and have utterly destroyed the Amalekites. But the people took some of the spoil, sheep and oxen, the choicest of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God at Gilgal. Samuel said, Has the Lord as much delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed or listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and insubordination is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord in your words, because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you. For you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go, Saul seized the edge of his robe, and it tore. So Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today, and has given it to your neighbor who is better than you. The glory of Israel will not lie or change his mind, for he is not a man that he should change his mind. Then he said, I have sinned, but please honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel, and go back with me, that I may worship the Lord your God. So Samuel went back and follow, went back following Saul, and Saul worshiped the Lord. Even when Saul finally gets convicted, okay, I have sinned, but please honor me before the people. Interesting, isn't it? The same thing that led him to disobey the command of God, he was still holding on to even in his, his not real repentance. Does that make sense? So he got caught in his sin, but it didn't cut his heart. 
okay? So character humility brings gracious growth. When confronted, Saul was rationalizing his struggles. He was blaming the people, right? Earlier in chapter 13, he was blaming Samuel himself. He was making excuses, and he just was, in essence, arguing, fighting God and fighting Samuel. Let's, let's shift now to, to David, okay? David also had his sinful nature and his character flaws. Uh, an experience with Nabal and Abigail where David had protected a lot of Nabal stuff and sheep and that and was wanting some uh, food and provision from Nabal. And Nabal was like, forget you, I'm not going to give you. And it made David, it surfaced a lot of anger in David, okay? So David's like, forget this guy, let's just go kill him. And Abigail, the wife of Nabal, intercedes. She's actually a very um, interesting vision of what Jesus does. She intercedes and she talks to David and says, listen, don't do it. My husband is, he's a loser. He's a jerk, okay? Don't, don't take it personally. Don't do this. This isn't, this isn't what you're called to be and do. So she intercedes and saves David, and David immediately repents. Now, says she was very beautiful and very smart, and so she ended up eventually being his wife. So I don't know if there was mixed motives there or not. But later on, we see David also struggle with lust. So he was king, and in 2 Samuel, he struggled with lust. And Bathsheba, he saw her, and he said he lusted after her. He took her, and they were immoral. Okay, so he was adulterous, and he covered up that adultery with sending her husband to the front lines to be killed in battle. So he compromised his character, his integrity, and then he covered it up. And that's what we do in our sinful nature. We're tempted, we compromise, and we cover it up. Okay, And so for a year this went on. And could you imagine trying to be king in Israel, knowing for a year what you had done, okay? And what that does to your conscience, what that does to your heart. And let's look over in 2 Samuel chapter 12. So was David better, so to speak, than Saul? All of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short, Right? But how do we respond when confronted with our sinful nature? The prophet Nathan comes and rebukes David and exposes through a very incredibly intelligent way of convicting. Because after you've compromised your conscience and told yourself lies so often, you start to believe them, right? And so Nathan confronts David, and this is David's response in verse 13. Remember Saul's response? The arguing, the back and forth, the rationalizing, the excusing, the minimizing, the blaming the people, right? And then finally, a little bit of conviction, but please still honor me. Remember that response from Saul? Listen to David's response. Then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Period. End of response. You see the difference? See the difference? 
How hard is it for you and I when faced with the truth, the reality of our struggles for us to get convicted? I was wrong. I have sinned against the Lord. And that's so interesting that he says, I've sinned against the Lord. And that's true, right? Um, But he also sinned against Bathsheba. He also sinned against his wives. He also sinned, I think Uriah may have felt a little bit of consequence now that he's dead because of David's sin. But David was so vertical in his heart and in his mind. Yes, I've sinned against him, but I've sinned against the Lord. When confronted by Abigail, David took complete ownership, godly sorrow, repentance, and restoration. When confronted by Nathan, David owned his sin, was cut to the heart, repented, and while the consequences of his sin played out and did wreak incredible amounts of havoc, God forgave him. I have sinned against the Lord. And this is where we have Psalm 51. We see David's contrite heart in Psalm 51. You know, uh, um, how about you? You know, for me, uh, you can't preach a sermon on pride and humility without confessing your own character sins. Amen? So here goes. You guys like to hear when I get open about my own struggles? So one of the character sins that I deal with is I take things very personally. It's very hard for me not to to get myself out of it and to not take things personally. And I have two stories. I have a macro story of, of uh, a lot of things I've dealt with in my own relationship with my dad. And then I have a mic- micro story of an argument I had with my wife this past week. So which one would you guys like to hear about? Dad, big stuff, or, or a micro one with, with mom this past week? Yeah. Both of them. Both of them. <laughs> Okay, well, it's going to be a longer sermon, but you asked for it. Okay, Um, you know, in my relationship with my dad, I'm the the youngest son, and I love my dad. For 13 years, we were were so close. And then my dad, about my age, uh, started going through kind of a midlife crisis, a really intense depression came on him, and he, he says he literally felt his mind, like, split in two. And there was this depression. It was really intense. And he became very, uh, when you struggle with depression, right, it's just hard to do stuff. It's hard to have the energy. You feel like just laying in bed, right? You just, I mean, we've all had various struggles with that. And I was about 13 years old or so, and so I didn't know how to process that, and I took it very personally. My sinful nature was like, my dad doesn't love me anymore. We used to do stuff, now he's left me. I I viewed myself as abandoned, and I withdrew, and I got judgmental toward depression and critical. Are you with me there? And so I just really withdrew, and I got self-righteous toward my dad and that sort of thing, and it wasn't honestly until recently past year or so, where I was like, wait a second. Maybe this wasn't about you, Joel. Maybe what your dad was going through wasn't, he wasn't trying to abandon you. Maybe he was struggling 
in his life, in his spiritual life, etc. And maybe you should have had a little more compassion on him. And I felt the Spirit start to really convict me and cut me instead of being Mr. Victim to my dad's issues. Are you with me there? And so I started, the, the Spirit started to really move and I started to kind of well up. And, and then it was just like, wait a second, Joel. You, if there's anyone who abandoned one, you abandoned him. Where were you? You, you, you left, you, you took off and all this kind of stuff. And I started to get more and more convicted. And I was like, I have been wrong. You took it personally, but it wasn't about you. And I got cut to the heart and tears were shed and I felt the healing already started to happen. And I remember going back to my dad and said, you know what, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I sinned against God and against you. And I'm going to be a better son. Boy, that's so refreshing, right? But it was a moment of humility. It was a moment of taking responsibility uh, for what my issue was in the situation. So that's kind of big, pretty big macro level. You want to hear the other one too? Or is that good? The other one? Okay. The other one, Christy and I, she started to share something she was feeling with me this a couple days ago. All right? Now, as a husband, when your wife starts to share some emotions, I'm, I'm telling you, your issues usually start to come out at that moment. Because <laughs> for me, again, I take things personally. So what do you think I did? I, I made it about myself. And I started to... Um, I started to... Uh, um, respond poorly. I started to get defensive, right? I started to feel like I was, uh, I needed to fix a problem. I, that I, the problem was there initially because of my failures, da, 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 and I started to be, and, and finally it was like, you know what, we need to kind of take a time out, and I'm like, yeah, I think we should take a time out, and when you're ready to talk a little better, then uh, we can talk again. Way to go, right? Okay, and so I walked away and I did some weed whacking. Whack weeds, yeah. <laughs> and I just felt the spirit like, wait a second, wait a second. It, maybe it wasn't her, bro. Maybe it was you. Maybe the issue here, she, your wife's just trying to talk. And you made it, once again, you made it about you. Knock it off. Stop. And so I went back and I said, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I was wrong. I responded poorly. Will you please forgive me? She was like, of course I forgive you. I love you. And I was like, oh, that's awesome. Okay. <laughs> Hallelujah. Right? Um, how about you? When confronted, when, when your issues surface, is it, is it like Saul or is it like David? Character humility personal sins, personal struggles, humility. It brings transformation. It brings you into the grace of God. It brings you uh, into the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God transforms you. Second point is this. Relationship humility brings gracious unity. You know, the, this is where Jonathan inserts into the equation. And I think we have so much about Jonathan because He's such a contrast to Saul. And we're kind of picking on Saul a little bit here. 
But again, let us not, let us, let's be careful to cast any stones on King Saul. He was once small in his own eyes. But slowly, gradually, he got less and less spiritual. I think we can all relate to that trend. And maybe that's why God has us here in the sermon today. Amen? But Jonathan here, his relationship with David is famous throughout history. Biblical history and beyond. David and Jonathan. But I think that's so interesting because Saul and Jonathan are father and son. Saul's the king and Jonathan's to be next in line for king. And it's Saul's sin that takes him out and God anoints David. Okay, so who should really be upset about that? Jonathan, right? Like, what? I didn't do nothing wrong. I won battles and all this type of thing. So David comes along, kills Goliath. And in 1 Samuel chapter 18, it says, Jonathan came up to David and said, Hey, just so you know, I'm next in line around here. Hey, just so you know, don't get too close to the kingship thing because I got this handled. I killed a bunch too in chapter 14. Of course, he didn't quote chapter 14 at that time. But. That's not at all what Jonathan's response was because Jonathan was so humble. It says he became one in heart, one in spirit. His soul was knit together with him. They weren't competitors. They were companions. This Saul, Jonathan, David dynamic is, is in, incredibly interesting. Saul towards David was discouraging. You know, when David said, hey, I think I can take Goliath, Saul's like, you can't. This guy's been a warrior since his youth. You're just a little shepherd boy. Well, that's encouraging, right, to hear from your spiritual leader. I think I'd like to lead a life group. Mm, uh, maybe we'll get someone else. Well, that'd be tough to hear, right? Saul was discouraging. Saul was competitive with David. Saul's killed his thousands. David is tens of thousands. And that got under Saul's skin. And it started messing with his mind. Um, he was suspicious of David. He was angry at David. He was double-minded toward David. On one hand, he loved David as a son, hated him, and tried to kill him. Okay? Uh, he was abusive toward David. Uh, and this is all from your spiritual leader, okay? And then Jonathan, we see this amazing contrast. Let's turn over to chapter 23, verse 15. They have the initial becoming one in spirit. They made a covenant with one another. Jonathan, even though he is also mistreated by Saul, is more upset about Saul's mistreatment of David than himself. So remember what humility is, not thinking less of yourself, it's thinking less of yourself. Does that make sense? you know the difference? One is like a low self-image. One is just like, I don't think of myself very often. I'm consumed with God and other people. I think of myself less. I think that's probably how I'm supposed to say that. Okay? So in chapter 23, this is an amazing, amazing thing that Jonathan says. David's on the run from, from Saul. Saul's trying to find him and kill him. David's on the run, and so he's hiding in a cave. In chapter 23, verse 15, it says, Now David became aware that Saul had come out to seek his life while David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horesh. And Jonathan, Saul's son, arose and went to David at Horesh and encouraged him in God, or helped him find strength in God. Thus he said to them, Do not be afraid, because the hand of Saul my father will not find you, and you will be king over Israel, and I will be next to you. 
The NIV says, I will be second to you. And Saul, my father, knows that also. So the two of them made a covenant before the Lord, and David stayed at Horesh while Jonathan went to his house. Listen to the humility of Jonathan, okay? He says, he's not like, boy, maybe if you get killed, then maybe I can be king. He's like, you know what? You're the anointed one. You're the chosen one. I want to encourage you. I want to support you. You're going to be king, and I'll be submissive to you. I'll be second to you, okay? This amazing humility between Jonathan and David. They honored one another above themselves. They were transparent with one another in the things that they felt toward one another. They often shed tears, uh, expressing their love and deep commitment toward one another. They served one another. They submitted to one another, and they encouraged one another. Listen, pride kills relationships. If you find yourself not very close to people, not very heart-to-heart to people, I would ask you to examine if there's pride in relationships. Over competitiveness, judgmental criticism, criticalness. Pride kills relationships. Why? Because pride shuts down transparency. Are you with me there? It shuts down transparency because we're too consumed with what they're going to think of us if we really are transparent with our sins, our struggles, or weaknesses. Without transparency, guys, there's no way to really have that kind of David-Jonathan unity. Transparent. And by the way, not just with transparent with our struggles, but with transparent with our love for one another, our devotion to one another, how much we respect each other. Uh, are you with me? Pride shuts down transparency. Pride shuts down advice-seeking. Advice-seeking. You know, let me give a little charge to teen parents. I'm a teen parent, right? And we have some amazing youth and family ministers, Eli and Janssen, that work with our teens. And let me tell you something. They work with them. They know their struggles, right? They are around them a lot during the week with Bible talk or whatever. It would behoove all of us as parents to, if Eli and Janssen were to maybe bring something up, or even if they don't bring something up, it would behoove us to go and say, Eli and Janssen, what do you see that in my child that I could encourage them with, help them grow in, etc.? It scares me, honestly, sometimes how little advice-seeking is sought by the parents. And if something is brought up, why we're defensive? Why, why are we being defensive? It's really not about the kid, is it? It's about that we may be being judged. Your kid is not you. They're separate than you. Don't look at Jordan and blame me for the things she does. Just kidding. Are you with me there? We have to dissociate and disconnect and get advice. Are you with me? But pride shuts that down. How about kids' kingdom teachers? If you're not a teen parent, how about a younger kid parent? Hey, how'd my kid do in kids' kingdom today? Anything I can help them with or work, anything I should be mindful of going on? What if the whole community did that to the teachers in school? Any teachers in the house? What if you had parent-teacher conferences and the parents came and said, is my child being a joy in your classroom? 
Is there anything you think that you see I could work with them on? Right? I think the parents, we'd get a lot more teachers. Amen. Okay. Pride kills relationships. Pride shuts down the respect. We see more of their flaws than we see their strengths. And so it eats away at respect. Someone who gives a lot of respect is humble. And pride shuts down unity. Speaking of the teens, I want to build up the teens a little bit. If there's ever a time in life where there's intense competitiveness, do you remember how you were in high school? The competitiveness, the comparison, right? Walking in and how am I dressed? How do I look? How's my body image? All this kind of, all this kind of stuff. Girls, it's like, Woo, right? Okay. And with guys, it's like wrestling and fighting and who's stronger than who and pecking order and, you know, are you right? Right? That's intense in high school. But we have disciples in our church who have lost the competitiveness and have become true companions. Being open with each other, humble with one another. I come to some of their D groups and they're letting each other disciple, encourage, challenge one another. That is a beautiful thing, only in the kingdom of God, I would say. Amen? So props to the teens. Okay, lastly, hardship humility brings gracious endurance. So, so far we've looked at our character humility bringing growth. Okay, relationship humility bringing unity. Hardship humility bringing gracious endurance. The book of Samuel starts out with Hannah. Chapter 2, we read it this morning and prayed. Hannah and what happens to Hannah, and then her prayer is kind of a thesis statement for the whole book of Samuel, First and Second Samuel. But if you noticed in that prayer, Hannah, or in her circumstances, Hannah had incredible hardship. She couldn't have a baby, and her rival was having all kinds of babies and holding it over like, I'm better than you, God loves me more, da-da-da-da, my husband loves me more, you're worthless, you're nothing. How would that go, right? And so Hannah's hurting. It's hard. It's a trial. And so what does she do in that hardship? Go to the world for comfort? Compromise her integrity? No, she goes to God. And she cries out to God. She's so intimate with God that even Eli the priest is like, Something you're like drunk, woman. She's like, actually, I'm not drunk. I'm just pouring my heart out to God. And um, God answers her prayer, and she has a child. And then she writes this beautiful song of praise to God. And it's all about God will bring down the exalted, but he will exalt the humble. And that's the theme for the book of uh, 1 Samuel. Incredible hardship, but she handled it spiritually. David went through incredible hardship in the book of Samuel. He was forgotten by his dad. Remember when Samuel came along and he's going to anoint his son to be king? And you got Eliab, nope. Next guy, nope. Next guy, nope. They get through about six or so, six of them or so. And Samuel's like, uh, is that all you got? Because God had said, not yet. And Jesse's like, oh yeah, uh, I got one more. David, he's uh, out with the sheep. How, how's that working for David? The youngest, right? Forgotten, left to do the work. Some of you youngest children are like, yeah, preach it, man. I hear it. 
forgotten, and then scorned by his brother. Any youngest child always looks up to the oldest child. Okay, not always. Usually looks up to the oldest child. Okay? And so when David's like, I think I can take this guy, Goliath. I could take him out. Eliab's like, I know your heart. You're just conceited. And by the way, who's taking care of the sheep? Little sheep boy. Ouch, right? David's like, dude, just ask the question. And he just turned and walked away. I love it. As a youngest child, I'm like, yeah, that's right, older brother. <laughs> right, okay. Um, uh, scorned by his brother, abused and attempted murder by his spiritual leader. Now, I know I've, I may have wronged some of you, okay? <laughs> you may feel like, oh, man, this guy, if I have to listen to him one more time. But be, be patient and merciful, right? Because I don't think I've thrown spears physically at any of you yet from the pulpit. <laughs> you know, Eli, you know, it's coming close. Okay, uh, just kidding. Um, so, so David is in hardship, right? And it's very interesting about how God works through trials to prepare someone for an incredible ministry. And that's exactly what's going on with David. How did David respond? Well, he served his dad and he served his brothers. He served and submitted to the king even when the king wanted to kill him. Even though encouraged to take matters into his own hands by killing Saul when he had multiple opportunities, he said, I will not lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. Even though he's not acting like the Lord's anointed, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to take my timing, my agenda into the situation. I'm going to entrust myself to God. And this is where we see so many of the Psalms that we have, is David processing these things while he was running from Saul. How was he humble through hardship? Number one, he poured his heart out to God. By the way, all of us, are you having some intense hardship in your life? There's just challenges. Maybe it's not going the way you thought. Maybe there's a health challenge. Maybe there's, it's just, there's all kinds of trials. Maybe it's work, maybe it's in the home. How are we handling those trials? That's the difference between pride and humility. Are we going to the world for comfort? Are we compromising our integrity? Are we taking matters into our own hands? So that I'm going to fix this right now. Or how can we be humble through hardship? Here's a few thoughts. Pour your heart out to God. This is what we see with Hannah. This is what we see with David. This is what we see with Jonathan. Pouring their heart out to God. Secondly, submitting ourselves first to God. Submitting ourselves to God and God's will and God's timing. Number three, trusting in God. That even through human evil. Say, yeah, but you don't understand because there's human evil involved in my hardship. And I may not understand. But God does. David does. Hannah does. Job does. Moses does. Abraham does. Peter does. Apostle Paul does. Read 1 Corinthians. Timothy does. Mostly, Jesus does. Who was nailed to a cross. That's some serious hardship. By the ones he came to love and serve. And what do we learn in, in these depths of these moments? 
to trust God. David, Hannah learned to trust God, to give it over to God. God says, do not take revenge. Revenge is mine, Romans 12. Okay? So maybe it's a, a personal thing like that. And lastly, he remained righteous. Remaining righteous. Still doing the right thing. You don't feel like doing the right thing. You don't, the person doesn't deserve for you to do the right thing. But remaining righteous. In the end, is honored by God. And in the end, David was honored by God. God lifted David up as king. Now, get into 1 Samuel. David's hardship is not over. David's hardship actually gets more intense. So make sure that you don't just looking for the end of the hardship. The end of the hardship comes when Jesus comes. Amen? And the kingdom of heaven comes and is restored on earth. And until then, but we, he, we have the ability to endure righteously. You guys ready for my country song? And then we'll focus on Jesus. Eric Church. Who likes Eric Church? Who's Eric Church? Who said that? Laura. Ah, oh, Laura. Worked with you for a long time. But there's a thing, when you're thinking about learning from history, in the lessons we can learn about pride and humility from history, from really the character of God. Um, he, he, this song, recent song called, entitled Some of It. says, some of it you learn the hard way. Some of it you read on a page. Some of it comes from heartbreak. Most of it comes from age. And none of it ever comes easy. A bunch of it you maybe can't use. I know probably... Excuse me, I know, and this is important about humility, I know I probably don't know what I think I do, but there's something to some of it. Some of it. Yeah. It's the last one. Yeah. Jesus came, and he was humble in heart. Humble in heart. Let's remember Jesus, and let's imitate that humility of heart. Wherever we're at in our journey, let's stop the pride and let's head a humble step. Let's, let's pray for communion at this time.